Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one, Natural Law, written by Skank Hunt. Imagine a perfect society that functions without any laws, and you may grasp what the ascendancy once was. Griff said as he tossed his roots and tubers into a large cauldron brewing tonight's communal stew. The thin, bitter stew would gnaw in its stomach all night, but at least it would keep him from starving. Impossible! How would you punish thieves and murderers? Syed rebutted. The trader had encountered the impoverished refugee commune on his way to a richer enclave. Griff, their leader, offered to feed and lodge him for the night in exchange for water filters. It was a deal that Syred was quickly beginning to regret as the stew nearly made him throw up. He tried to stomach the vile liquid so as to not offend his hosts, who were in all other respects very pleasant people. I'll answer your question with another question, Gruff responded. Tell me, Coyote, your people have a law against gouging out their own eyes. Of course not. Why would we need such a law? Syred replied. Indeed, you're right, Griff rest on. And excruciating pain and permanent blindness is enough to stop anyone from doing something so foolish. A law that forbids this action is therefore completely superfluous. The ascendancy once called this natural law. It is a natural consequence of your actions are grave enough to act as a deterrent, then there is no need for us to put an artificial law in place. You still need artificial laws to stop criminals. Syrot interrupted. This is true for most lesser societies, Griff continued. In a greater society, natural law deters all crime. Imagine if a thief's arms were left in excruciating pain, which could only be relieved if by returning the goods he stole. Would anyone commit acts of theft? Would you need laws to prevent theft anymore? Or imagine a liar whose tongue stopped working after uttering a malicious words. Would a society still need laws to prevent libel, fraud, and heresy? Sure, Syred interrupted. Such a lawless society would work, but only if arms and tongues obeyed your natural law. It's pleasantly refreshing to meet someone so unfamiliar with the Icaronian ascendancy such as yourself, Griff mused. It reinforces my belief that we picked the right planet for exile. Griff reached deep into his robes, fishing for a minute before pulling out a bizarre and entirely unfamiliar object. This is a lawgiver. Once implanted into the subject's cranium, it converts artificial law into natural law. Syrot was awed and alarmed by the device's alien shape and instructive construction. At the center was a perfectly polished iridescent metallic disc, though larger than a coin from which radiated uncountable tendrils no thicker than a hair. Each tendril appeared to move independently, as if in search of prey. Periodically, the entire device would glitter from a million pinpoints. Keep that away from me, 
Syrod raised his voice as he quickly scanned his surroundings for possible exits. Relax, friend, Ruff said reassuringly. A lawgiver can only be installed by a specialized surgeon. And honestly, if you truly understood the lawgiver, you'd be begging to have one installed in your cranium. Yeah, I'm not worried. None of you look like surgeons, Syrod replied. The lawgivers were the bedrock of our society. Griff ignored the retort and continued. Before natural law, our homeworld was plagued by endless rebellion. Even during our brief times of peace, we dealt with rampant murder, spiraling crimes, apostasy, and all manner of social ills. Natural law changed all of that. Money that was previously spent on weapons, fences, and even locks could now be channeled into more productive endeavors. We constructed and tested our first star drive a mere century afterwards. We saw it as a manifest destiny to spread natural law to all the races in our galaxy. Overwhelming force was regrettably necessary to uplift many of the lesser civilizations, but the end result always made the loss of a few billion sentients worthwhile. As bringers of natural law, all uplifted civilizations were naturally indebted to us. All willingly donated 50% of their planetary production to the Ascendancy, so that we could continue our quest to uplift the galaxy's graces. Sounds like you carved up quite an empire for yourselves, Cyrit remarked. So what happened? How did you end up as refugees on the Outer Rim planet? Well, Griff replied, things went downhill after we met a race that routinely gouged out their own eyes. This piqued Syot's interest, and Griff passed on. The humans were unremarkable at first. They initially resisted natural law as many lesser races do. They were easily overpowered and uplifted against the lesser instincts. Natural law quickly eliminated all of humanity's vices. Humans are inherently productive race, and natural law only amplified that intrinsic virtue. They were soon the Ascendancy's leading supplier of star drives and heavy machinery. Griff changed his tone. It was only much later that we learned that humans darker vices. They have a grotesque concept they call hunger strike. Participants will refuse all food until their demands are met, or until they die of hunger. More often than not, they demand something entirely unrealistic like lower taxes, civil liberties, procreation rights... Syrot recoiled in horror as he completed Griff's thought, which means that they willingly chose a slow, painful death for an infinitesimally small chance that their lives will improve. Sometimes they even take the fast and painful route, Griff replied. He reached out in his robe and fished out a picture of a human monk. Ever heard of self-immolation? The picture was too much for Synrot, who instantly regurgitated the bitter stew all over the mud floor. Griff took no offense. Yeah, that was my reaction when I first saw it too, he replied. The penalty for attacking natural law itself is most severe. Soldiers who take up arms against the ascendancy, financiers who arm and equip them, and parents who refuse to uplift their children will all experience throbbing cranial pain. It starts with a merely troublesome, but slowly progresses to intensity over the years. The pain becomes so excruciating that most humans are driven insane in two of their decades. A slow, drawn-out death that would set an example to others who ever questioned natural law. Of course, 
This did not stop the humans. They commandeered star drives that they built for the Ascendancy, assembling gigantic armadas to rival our own. Their workers toiled day and night, fighting both hard production quotas and increasingly unbearable agony. Once they could no longer work, they were euthanized by volunteers who took their place, fully knowing the fate that awaited them. Unfortunately for us, the agony of human pilots only encouraged them to execute devastating suicidal attacks. We lost more ships and worlds to lightspeed rammings than from any other cause. Griff paused his tail and let out a deep sigh. Now we're all that's left of the Ascendancy. Thankfully, the humans don't know we're barely getting by on this backwater world. Then all of you have done is wait them out, Cyrot suggested. In two decades, all the rebelling humans will be dead. Funny thing is, that's exactly how long it takes for a newborn human to mature, Griff replied. They'll find us sooner or later. Griff had finished his tale, and the group dispersed for the night. Cyrot fell into an uneasy slumber on the damp straw mattress strewn on the hard mud floor. The morning light illuminated the commune in a red haze. Cyrot found Griff by the commune's gate, ready to bid him farewell. There's one last bit to my story, Griff proclaimed. But, to be frank, the others don't like to hear it. It's just you and me now. Let's hear it, Cyrot replied. Even before we met them, the humans had a strange philosophy akin to the natural law. At the time, we dismissed it as a primitive superstition. But all that has happened has led me to seriously reconsider it. Simply put, we made the humans suffer. Today, we are the ones suffering. Last night's awful stew has given me just enough strength to gather more roots to cook more disgusting bitter stew. This is my lot for the rest of my life. The humans would call this karma. End of story. Story number two. Starry Night, written by Jormander. The cultural exchange has thus far been ordinary. The conglomerate and the federation shared statuary, music, dances, and wild shapes of fashion that all consumed readily and greedily as they sought inspiration. But when humans presented their crude paintings, my fellow Federation members laughed. Thinking it was a joke, they had advanced in nearly every other aspect of their arts, but the pictures they gave us were dull and drab. I was gifted with a replica of their most famous pieces, Starry Night. Darkness on darkness with some small pinpoints of what could be stars, overall boring to look at. The negotiations continued, alliances were made, and understandings of species continued. When a human diplomat came to my office, I always ensured the painting was hung and was always complimented on its beauty by my Terran guest of the day. It wasn't until I had forgotten to take it down as a friend ended that I learned more about it. He took a look at it as if it was transfixed. A tear rolled down his face as he stared, hypnotized by the painting. When I finally snapped him out of his reverie, I joked how he had been so bewitched by such a simple dot son of dark background. Instead, shaking off of the embarrassment, he explained something that they had recently learned. Apparently, 
rather than evolving from other predator species like most other civilized species with stereoscopic vision, they had evolved as hunter-gatherers. I furrowed my brow, trying to figure out the implications of it. Most predators that had their eyes forward tended to have limited color perception, increasing their night vision and reducing issues from when they would hunt. My friend saved me for the confusion. They had not had excellent depth of field of perception like so many predators, but they also saw on a broad spectrum of light the better to see danger, detect patterns, and more as primate descendants. In an effort to help his negotiations, he had applied for an implant upgrade to see the same spectrum. Humans were almost as bright in their garb as avian species, sometimes more so. Their arts took on a new impact, and even their music and dancing seemed to have color involved in them. I submitted my application for the upgrade and had it completed later that week. I spent the next few days getting used to the increased sensory input. Colors on the human level were truly staggering. But I made it through it and returned to my office. The painting on my wall was beautiful. In that moment, I wondered how I had ever truly appreciated art. The swirls and the whirls and the subtle play of the most minor colors in the smallest of ways. Never have I known any species to paint with such simplicity, with such beauty. End of story. Story number three. Military-grade weapons used for fun. Written by Darth Hath Depression. James, aren't military-grade weapons illegal in this part of the planet? The human turned around from his current task of placing a strange bag of blackened matter in a dangerously hot water. Yeah, why? I was looking around your sleeping area, only to notice you have a military-grade electric and gas-powered slug throws just lying around unattended. I just was wondering how you came into possession of them. James paused for a second, the fur over his eyes arching down as his head turned slightly as he stared at me. I wasn't quite sure why he did this whenever he seemed confused. Maybe it was a reposition his ears to hear more clearly, which made sense if what they heard seemed confusing. The motion of the eyebrows didn't make much sense, but you could only get so far with guessing xenobiology. Military grade... Electric and gas-powered. No idea what you're talking about. Are you blind? They're literally just lying around. Multiple ones stacked against the weird bed nest that you humans used. Come on, let me show you. I dragged him to his sleeping area, straining against the harsh gravity of the dense frame, where I pointed an assortment of weapons leaning against the end of his bed, where he suddenly started to act as if it was no big deal. Oh... Those, they aren't military-grade weapons, they aren't even real weapons, they're just replicas that shoot little plastic balls. We use them for this game where we run around and shoot each other in what is meant to be a mock-up of current warfare. It's pretty fun, I'll lend you a gun if you want to try it out. James, he's could impact mortal damage on me and easily pierce my carapace. In fact, these weapons could prove fatal to about 40% of the known species. And you're telling me you run around like juveniles and shoot these at each other. 
I know Death World of Biology shouldn't be underestimated, but this seems utterly ridiculous. Well, they sting a bit, and we have to wear eye protection, if that makes it any better. Oh, of course humans do that stuff for fun. Why wouldn't they? I suppose they also throw themselves out of planes and climb mountains for fun, too. I don't see why father has to bring us to this boring diplomatic trips, especially to somewhere like Earth. Later that day, Avaru, you returned. Did you have fun at James's home? I hope you learned a little more about their culture from him. Yes, father, I found out that humans consider shooting each other with firearms a sport. Also, may I use some of my funds to purchase military-grade shield harness? James invited me to join in when he goes next time. Father became visibly nervous, and the request as I calculated he would. A stunt like playing combat sports with the Death Wilder should be enough to prevent him from dragging me along to his diplomatic visits for a while. And if not, I may as well enjoy what this death trap of a planet has to offer. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.